Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to MRCC. It's a little smoky out there, but it's still summer. I will say, though, has this year flown by for anyone else, or is it just me? This week in one of our staff meetings, we talked about what we were going to do for Christmas already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also this week, um, I'm old. I turned 30 this week. Yeah. Pastor Greg told me not to make the joke, but I'm going to do it anyway. My back already hurts. Like, I haven't even turned 30 yet, and, and my back is already about to, to hurt. But, oh, man. Well, welcome to MRCC. My name is Tyler. I'm the youth pastor here at MRCC. But uh, before, you know, we ramped back up into the school year, before Christmas or anything like that, we have a ton of stuff happening as we uh, dive back into this school year. But before the school year starts this Saturday, uh, we have a MRCC family duck hunt. Um, I don't know exactly what it is. Uh, I'm assuming it has to do with ducks. Um, I've heard that it's a scavenger hunt. Um, I'm going to, again, guess that it is duck-themed. Um, but if you have any questions about it, uh, please don't hesitate to, to call the office and talk to Pastor Allison or Janae. Uh, it starts at 3 p.m. on Saturday at the Edom Claw Library. That is all I know. Um, so again, if you have any questions, please reach out to them. Uh, also coming up on September 6th is our Back to School Bash. It is going to be uh, for all of our students here at MRCC from kindergarten all the way up through 12th grade. Uh, we split them up into different age groups. There's Impact and Forge, and then there's also Youth. Um, those are all happening on September 6th at different times. Uh, the, the kids, they start a little bit earlier. We're going to have some inflatables. We're going to have a lot of food uh, for youth. We're going to do a guest speaker, and we're going to have some guest worship as well. And so we want your students to, to join us there, and we want them to, to get involved. And then also, it's an opportunity uh, for you to get involved as a leader if, if you feel like God's calling you to, to get involved. Um, that is a great way to serve. And uh, launching when you don't know anyone and no one else knows anyone uh, is the perfect opportunity um, because you won't feel weirded out or anything like that. I don't even know everyone, so uh, and I'm the one in charge of one of those groups. But, um, again, uh, we just want to invite your students to that. Also coming up on September 10th, uh, a different um, ministry here that we have is called Royal Rangers. Um, if you don't know what that is, I call it the Christian version of Boy Scouts. It is just for guys. Um, I'm not going to brag, but when I did Royal Rangers a long time ago, uh, I was the Royal Ranger of the Year here at MRCC. Yeah, there were four of us. So, um, but also the other three had already won. So I, they, I feel like they felt obligated to, to let me do it. Um, but uh, yeah, that is coming up on September 10th. That's when it starts. And if you want more information on that, uh, they're going to be in the foyer and they would love to uh, help you get connected with that. Also, if you're new here, I just want to invite you uh, to get connected with us. One of those things is we have a, a New Connections lunch happening next Sunday. It's going to be in Buckley. There's going to be more information coming next week. Uh, but also, uh, just fill out the Connect card. We're not going to sell your information. We're not going to show up at your house unannounced or anything like that. Uh, the ways to do that is you can fill it out physically in the seat back in front of you, or you can take your phone and you can scan that barcode, um, and that'll uh, take you to uh, the way to get it all filled out, uh, because we just want to get connected and get to know you more. 
If you want to open your Bible today to Luke chapter 11, that's where we're going to be. Thank you, Pastor Tyler. Can we just all celebrate the Royal Ranger of the Year? That's just great stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good grief. Tyler Cash is 30 years old. Wow. Makes me feel old. All I ever see when I look at you is that gangly kid. I, I've never seen an adult, Tyler, so, uh, you know, hallelujah. You know. It's good to see you this morning, church. Welcome to Second Service. Haven't been outside in a while. There's the sun coming up. It said it was going to be a glorious day. I'm looking forward to that. Um, huge thanks again to everybody who's been praying for us as we're recovering from this accident. I've been deluged with people asking about my wife. In fact, way more people have asked about my wife and the motorcycle than have actually asked about me. But uh, she's here this morning. Rhonda made it to church to Second Service. So yeah, 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 yeah. She really wants me to call attention to her and point her out. It's one of her favorite things. So, uh, but, uh, you know, thanks for your prayers. Uh, I really do appreciate it. And, um, you know, just thanks for your relentless love and grace. I got to say that to a lot of folks last week. Maybe you weren't here last week uh, when we were back for the first time. But um, thank you. We were just overwhelmed uh, with love and grace and support and help and people showing up at our house. Got some funny stories about that. It was just awesome. So thank you uh, for caring for us so much. Um, grab your Bible, if you would, this morning and open it to Luke's Gospel, Chapter 11. And uh, we're going to continue our road trip journey that we began at the beginning of last week. We took a little break from that. Talked about a, a supernatural healing that God did in my life. So if you didn't catch last week's online, you can check that out uh, and find out about that. It's a pretty neat story. But today we're going to pick up where we were in our road trip, our journey with Jesus through all the way through Luke's gospel this year. And remember what we said at the beginning. Uh, Jesus said there would be a lot of people using his name who really weren't following his ways. And he said we should watch out for that. And he says the simple way to do that is just pay attention to the real me. You'll always be able to recognize the fake me if you do that. And so we've been walking through Luke's gospel. We've been road tripping with the Lord all the way through Luke. And this morning we're in chapter 11, beginning with verse 33 and, and moving down through verse 54. And I, I want to say next week, we have a very special guest who's going to continue that journey with us. And uh, many of you know him, but as the years go by, there's fewer of us who know him. So I want to point out uh, Pastor Zach Cash right down here in the front row. Zach is actually Tyler's dad. Zach used to be our youth pastor here at MRCC. And for the last number of years, he's led all the youth pastors in the Northwest Network across Washington and Northern Idaho, and talk about an important and significant ministry. He has been, he's put, I think he told me in two years, almost 70,000 miles on his truck, traveling around, teaching, mentoring, building youth leaders, youth pastors, and the churches that they serve. It's really a pretty amazing thing. And Pastor Zach next week is going to be speaking. I'm going to be off to Phoenix on Thursday. You're saying, why are you going there? I ask myself that every year, but it's actually just a, a week-long vacation trip that I have. So looking forward to uh, to watching Zach online. Luke chapter 11 this morning, beginning with verse 33. And, and, and let me begin by telling you something you, you have probably noticed and something that you've probably laughed about. And that is that there are some things that just can't be unseen. Have you noticed this? So sometimes you see something and you say, I, I want to poke my mind's eye out. I don't want to, you know, experience that again. That was no good. And there are some things that just can't be unseen. I was thinking about that this last week in the context of this. Sometimes when we see something, it changes the way we think forever. It changes our mind. Sometimes 
what we see changes how we think and how we feel. And uh, let me kind of illustrate this for you for a second. I, I came across a few slides I was going to share with you. For example, this one. Once you see this sign, if you see someone drowning, laugh out loud and call 911, right? <laughs> Once you see that, you can't unsee it. It's no longer a person holding their arms up. It's, you know, laugh out loud. You can't get over it. You get the idea. It changes how you think. How about this one? After you see Stewie Griffin's face on the end of Eeyore's nose, you see it there? You can't unsee it, right? Try not to see it now. You can't. It's there. It's stuck. And you'll never see Eeyore the same for the rest of your life. Or how about this one? Once you see the Batman logo on the puppy's forehead, <laughs> that's all you can see after that. You know, it just it won't go away. Your mind is changed. Once you see, for example, in this one, once you see the drunk octopus, you can't unsee it, right? For the rest of your life, you're going to hang your coat on a drunk octopus. It's just your, your mind has changed. couple more. What do you see here? Some freaky aliens or three dog noses? Once you see the freaky aliens, try to unsee them, right? It's hard. And then just one more. You can't unsee this the next time you sit down for breakfast. Change your grocery experience for the rest of your life, you know. No, here's the reality. You and I know this. Sometimes the things we see really irrevocably change the way we think, change the way we feel. If you get a new truck, all of a sudden you notice every other new truck just like yours. You just see them all the time, right? Uh, if you get a new hat or if you get new shoes, so suddenly you, you see them everywhere where you wouldn't have before. I have to tell you that after our motorcycle wreck uh, almost four weeks ago, now I see every single news story about a motorcycle wreck. Not, not, I notice them all. And when I see somebody riding like I was with just a T-shirt on, I think, ah, oh, don't do that, don't do that. Yeah, but my mind is changed by what I have seen. And, and the reason I bring that to our attention tonight, uh, this morning, is because Jesus wants to teach us about that reality. And the reason he wants to teach us about that reality is because what we choose to see really does change how we think and feel on the inside. And it's what happening, what's happening on the inside of us that matters most to God. Luke 11, let's listen to the Lord together, beginning with verse 33. Jesus is speaking, he says this. He says, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it can't be seen, where it'll be hidden. I mean, why would you do that? Or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand so that those who come in can see the light. In other words, the Lord's setting the stage for what he's about to teach. And he says, hey, we all understand that a lamp has a purpose. And once you understand the purpose, you use it for that purpose. You don't use it for something that's not its purpose. You don't light it and hide it. You light it and put it out so that it can give its light. Okay. In the same way, Jesus says, you and I have eyes. Look at the Lord, verse 34. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, then your whole body is full of light. But when your eyes are bad, then your whole body becomes filled with darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, Greg, your eyes have a purpose. They have a function. God gave them to you for a reason. 
He gave them to you to use to illuminate your spirit, to illuminate your mind and your heart, to bring light and goodness into your life, into your experience. So, Greg, recognize that that's the purpose of your eyes, and don't use your eyes for some other purpose, because that's nonsensical and, in fact, dangerous. In other words, what we see outside of us shapes what we think and feel inside of us. That's what the Lord wants us to understand. And this is a big deal. In our culture, it's common to hear people say that a, a movie or a video or a picture or an experience or whatever, well, you know, it's not real or it's just a video. It doesn't affect me. Jesus says, that's a lie. Jesus said, that's not true. That's not real. It does affect you. And and here's, here's what you want to understand about his spirit in this moment. If you're a parent or a grandparent or even an older brother or sister, there are times when you're around small children and something happens and you say, oh, honey, I don't want you to see that. Oh, oh, you know, pay attention to me. Turn away from that. I saw it all the time in the ER, you know. Parents don't want their kids to see blood and gore and whatever. Yeah, and, and, and we all understand that feeling. But what Jesus wants us to understand is that God feels that way about us. Like a good father, like the father that he is, the, the one who loves us, who calls us sons and daughters, he says, hey, hey, there's some things I don't want you to see. I want you to turn your head, your heart away because, because it'll affect you, because it'll stay with you. Because once you've seen the bowl of cereal that looks like deer poop, there's just no getting around it, right? And he wants us to grasp that. OCD people understand this easily. Anybody a little bit OCD like I am, right? So you walk into the room and there's a picture on the wall at somebody's house and it's slightly askew. I can't help myself. I'm going to go correct the picture. If you bring me to your house and your picture's off, I'm going to fix it, all right? I just, I can't unsee it, right? It's like the guy who went into the bathroom and then he, I saw a meme. He posted, he says, you know, I, I went into the bathroom and I forgot my phone. There are 1,220 tiles in my bathroom. <laughs> you know, he just counted them all, right? Because he couldn't unsee it. Well, in the same way, in a more serious way, Jesus says, hey, understand that your eyes are meant to shape your heart, your spirit, your mind, your, your insides. And, and what you see, what you choose to see, makes all the difference. So let me ask us this. Let me ask you to ask yourself this. How, how do you choose what you see and what you don't see? If you don't really have an answer to that question, okay, then let the Lord step in right here and say, hey, you need to. You need to develop a policy. You need to kind of have an attitude, a perspective that you choose because your eyes have a purpose. They're not just stuck there to take in whatever happens to be out there. And by the way, this Jesus is talking about what we choose willfully to see. If you're a police officer, if you're a doctor, if you're a pediatric oncologist, if you're, you know, whatever, there's stuff that you see because of your work and you have to. That's a, not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the stuff that we choose to see when we have a choice. And, and what we want to grasp is that it's okay to not see things. You know, in the culture that we live in, this social media, informational, digital age that we're in, we sometimes feel like we need to see everything. If something's happening, we need to know. We need to see it. We got to see video. We got to see the picture. We got to have lay eyes on it. But really, we don't need to. 
I, I'm like one of the last people in the world who reads the newspaper. Can I confess that to you? There's a gas station in town that just keeps two newspapers every day because they think I might stop by and buy one of them. And me and the clerk laugh about it because nobody else does. But the reason I kind of do that is I, I would usually rather read about something than actually see everything. Uh, there's stuff that I don't need to see. And God wants us to grasp that about ourselves. You know, sometimes sometimes I'll walk out of a movie halfway through. <laughs> I've been with people, well, you paid for this. Yeah, I know, I paid for it, which is why I'm walking out. I don't need to see any more of this. It's okay to do that. Usually it's when something's incredibly dumb. A few weeks ago, uh, Ron and I just on a Sunday evening, we called up Allison, Pastor Allison and her husband, David. Hey, you guys want to go to the movie? Flash is on. Let's go see Flash. So we went to the Flash movie. Can I tell you, that that is the dumbest movie in the history of the world. I mean, we were watching, 10 minutes in, we were like, are you kidding? A, a, a bunch of, you know, <laughs> I don't even have words. <laughs> I was that wordless in the theater. And you think, it can't get any dumber, and then it does, and dumb. And we just sat there the whole time, and we were looking at each other, and we were laughing, and to tell you the truth, I was ready to leave after like 40 minutes. I knew there was no coming back from how dumb and bad this was. But you kind of felt like, well, we invited them here. And then what was funny afterwards, we all looked at each other and said, I was ready to leave after a half hour. It's okay to turn away. It's okay to not see things. God says there's lots of things that really aren't worth seeing. The psalmist puts it this way. Psalm 101 verse 3, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Why? Because I know what my eyes are for. They're not meant to collect worthless things. So, so I'm not going to do that. Psalm 119, verse 37, the psalmist writes, I turn my eyes away from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. In other words, when I do that, when I understand what my eyes are for, then I experience renewal. You know, for some of us, the shortest cut to finding our way back to the faith we once felt strong and warm is changing what we allow ourselves to see. It revives us in his ways, the psalmist says. Maybe you need to make a decision about that. When Jesus talks about the eye being a lamp, he's saying, look for the positive ways you can illuminate yourself because that's what your eyes are for. You say, well, what do you mean the positive stuff? There's a lot of positive stuff that you can choose to see, that you can choose to experience. Can I just confess something to you that will make you laugh at me for the rest of your life, okay, and my wife? We have a plan for when we're retired. We've talked about this. We're going to take up a hobby. We're, gonna, we're looking forward to it. And for whenever God says that time is now, then we're going to jump into this. And you know what we're going to do? Our hobby we're going to take up together, we're going to become bird watchers. You're thinking, whatever. But here's what we're excited about. Get some cool binoculars that are high-powered, and then you get a book or an app that shows you. And then you go out and you look for these birds in the Nisqually Refuge or up on Mount Rainier, wherever. You go bird watching because something about the joy of seeing God's creation just tickles me. You know, when I come home from running in the morning and there's a hummingbird right outside of my front door, I'm like, oh, it's so cool. And wow, you know. And, and so we have a plan for what we're going to choose to see when we're retired. Why? Because we know that our eyes are made for a purpose. Jesus says to you, Jesus says to me, to us, to his sons and daughters, he says, I want you to understand this reality. Because our, our tendency, you know, in this time in which we live, our tendency is to look at a lot of bad stuff. 
And the problem is that it does affect us. But way back in Genesis chapter 9, there's an example of this. Verses 20 to 23, the Bible says that Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. This is after the flood. The earth is being repopulated. Noah's making his home. He says he planted a vineyard. But then, you know, he got off course. He drank some of his wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Now, that's just the setup to the story. The story goes on that Ham, one of his sons, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness. And what did he do? He told his two brothers outside, hey, guys, guess what? If you go in there, you can see dad naked and drunk, wiped out on the floor. That spirit is very much in our world. That spirit is very much in many people. Now, I love how the brothers responded. The scripture says Shem and Japheth took a garment. They laid it across their shoulders, and then they walked in backwards and covered their father's nakedness. Now, what's going on here? Well, Ham's inside is filling up with darkness. The other two brothers are saying, you know what? There's no reason to stare. Can I say one of the saddest things that I experienced during the motorcycle wreck was, you know, I'm in the middle of the freeway cradling my wife. We're waiting for the ambulance. Wonderful people called 911, took care of traffic. A lot of people are doing good things. But you know what else I'll never forget? was about 10 or 12 people off to the side who were just standing there with their phones making a video. I, I, part of me wanted to go, really? <laughs> you know, but I just ignored them and, you know, went on with it. But w- w- what's the thrill? Oh, I'm gonna put, look, I saw a motorcycle. Oh, look at these people. What? Really? Yet that spirit infected him and made him a fool. The scripture goes on to say that when Noah found out about it, he wasn't happy. Of course not. This story is about that tendency that we have to to look at that which is unworthy. And Jesus wants us to recognize that we have that tendency and to understand that our eyes were created by God to shape our mind, heart, and spirit. Kind of in the same way that you set up a trellis in order to teach a vine to grow up and flower the side of your house, our eyes are meant to shape our heart and mind. And what we choose to see or don't see makes all the difference. And so Jesus wraps it up. Look at verse 36. He says, therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it'll be completely lighted as when the light of a lamp shines on. Who wouldn't want that? Who would choose to live in darkness? Yet, Jesus says, some do. Many do. Because of what they choose to see. So let me ask you again, what is it that you choose to see? What is it that you choose not to see? How do you make that distinction? God invites us to consider it. And by the way, what the Lord is saying is not just don't see bad stuff. He's saying focus on seeing good stuff. Here's how the scripture puts it over in Philippians chapter 4. The Bible says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely or admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Can I just tell you kind of how I have learned to do this in my own life? Maybe it'll be helpful to you, uh, but you get the idea. One of the things that I do is if if a show comes on and and I want to watch it and I think it's going to be pretty good, if in the first episode they don't give me a good guy, a virtuous, a hero or a heroine, somebody that I can cheer for, I'm out (laughs) because the story's not going anywhere. I don't want to watch shows about crime dons and biker gangs killing and beating each other up, ripping each other off, and just, it's not interesting. But if you give me a hero, I recognize that all that stuff is out there, but now I got somebody that I can watch, I got somebody that I can cheer for, I got somebody that I can celebrate, 
That's what makes all the difference. Your Bible has got a lot of bad stuff in it, but it's always in the right context. Wrong is wrong. Right is right. And it teaches us the difference between those two things. Jesus said that's what our eyes are for. Now, here's the second and final big idea this morning is that the reason the Lord talks about this is because of what he's about to teach in the very next moment. Look at verse 37. When he'd finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, and so he went and reclined at the table. He accepted the invitation. And the invitation to eat together was, uh, uh, in those days, even more so than now, an invitation to relational intimacy. Hey, let's connect. Let's find out about each other. And this guy's a Pharisee, which means, at least on the outside, he's about God in his life. And so he invites Jesus. Jesus, uh, you know, says, absolutely. But very quickly, we find out that that Pharisee's only about God on the outside. Look what the scripture says. The Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. In other words, the first thing the Pharisee noticed when Jesus came to his house was that Jesus didn't cooperate with the religious traditions of his day. Now, it's important to understand that there is no commandment in scripture that says thou shalt wash before you eat. That's actually a tradition that grew up among the Jews, and it ostensibly had a good purpose. The washing was a way of saying, I'm cleansing my spirit before I receive the gift of God's food. But it had become what Tim Downs calls a boundary marker. Tim Downs, in his wonderful book, Finding Common Ground, writes about the fact that we as church people tend over time to set up boundary markers, behaviors by which we say, you're in, you're out, you're one of us, you're not one of us. And that's fine if the boundary markers are biblical, but it's terrible if they aren't. And there's a lot of boundary markers bouncing around our church subculture that have nothing to do with God's word. And, and this is one of those. He says, hey, Jesus, you didn't wash your hands. And listen to how the Lord responds. Then the Lord said to him, now then. <laughs> it's not good when Jesus is talking to you and he starts with now then, okay? He says, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. By the way, that sounds so tame in the 21st century, you foolish people, but you want to grasp the reality. The word fool meant morally bankrupt, dumb, willfully ignorant and wicked. A, a, a real good 21st century word would be idiot, you idiot. Jesus says, you foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside Make the inside also. And then he says something revolutionary. He says, give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will become clean for you. Oh, no. Time out. Let's just sit down in the middle of that idea, because it's, it's revolutionary. It's radical. It's life-changing. Jesus is saying that what is going on inside of you can transform what happens outside of you. Give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will become clean for you. In other words, what matters most, what is most significant about you and me, is what's happening inside of us. And it's only when we grasp that, that what is happening outside of us finds its proper place. 
There's a wonderful little story about two medieval monks. Now, this is some years ago, so get the context. And these two monks have taken a vow of chastity, a vow that is so serious that they, they swore that they would never touch or be in any kind of significant relationship with a woman. It's the Middle Ages, so understand the context. These two guys have taken this vow, and they're traveling together cross-country. And they come, they come to a stream in the wilderness. And, and when they get to the stream, they see a woman at the edge of the stream, and she can't get across. It's too, the water's too high, the current's too strong, it's too far. And she sees them, and she says, oh, sirs, could you help me get across the river? And the first monk immediately grabs her, hefts her up on his shoulder, powers into the river, hauls her across, sets her down on the far side. She says, oh, thank you. Thanks so much. And the two monks continue their journey, but now they're journeying in silence. And the silence grows until that night. They sit down at the campfire, and the second monk says, brother, I, I have a bone to pick with you. He says, well, what? He says, well, you and I have taken a vow of chastity not to touch or lay eyes on a woman. And back there at the stream, you picked her up and carried her across. You've broken our vows. And the first monk says, no, no, because when we got to the other side, I put her down and you're still carrying her. See, what's happening inside of us matters most. And that first monk understood that. That's what Jesus is talking about in this moment. He says, what we do for good is how we overcome bad or our tendency to sin. Lots of people have reduced their faith to the things they won't or don't do. And, and that's part of it, but it's the lesser part of it. The greater part of our faith is what we do to help the needy. To put this another way, we're getting ready to go into the NFL season, right? And I'm just hoping the Kansas City Chiefs do not win again. I'm tired of teams winning with all offense. I hate that, okay? I'm a defensive guy. I love a 6-3 to three game where they wore it out, three people die, four guys have broken arms, they go home. It was a battle, right? I'm, I love that. But you know what Kansas City does? They just keep scoring until you're dead. <laughs> I hate it. But it works. <laughs> the most winning team the last few years, Kansas City Chiefs. Why? Because they just keep scoring. And Jesus is saying to us, play offense. I want you to go to work, go to school, go to your neighborhood, your family. I want you to play offense. I want you to find the good things that you can give what is inside the cup to the poor, to the needy, to those who are in need, and then everything will become clean for you. The power to overcome sin, whether it's porn or temper or greed or you name it, is found in being busy doing good. And the scripture calls us to that again and again and again. And, and that's how the light fills us up from the inside out. Wonderful story in scripture about King David and, and uh, not a wonderful story, an awful story, but wonderful in what it teaches. The scripture says that King David fell into sin with Bathsheba when he stopped doing good. The Bible says it was the time for kings to go off and lead their men to war. David says, nah, I'm going to hang home, Netflix, and chill. Paraphrase, all right, go with me on this. And that's what led to his adultery, to his murder of Bathsheba's husband, to all the horror that filled up his life. Why? Because he started not doing good, but trying not to do bad. It's a road to nowhere. Jesus isn't calling us to just not do bad things. He's calling us to play offense and to do the good things. The Pharisees seemed like the most seriously spiritual people of their time, but in the eyes of the Lord, they weren't. And the nature of their error is crystal clear. Look at what the Lord says, verse 42. Woe to you, Pharisees, 
You give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. In other words, Jesus says, yeah, don't do it. So what were the Pharisees doing? They were tithing from their groceries. Tithing is a beautiful thing. It's a great thing. If you haven't discovered it, God wants you to. The freedom and the joy that come from it. Those of us who, who give financially to God's church, we do it for joy because we know of what it produces in our life. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. But there are much more important things. And Jesus wants us to grasp that. He wants this Pharisee to grasp that. He says, you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. There are greater matters, and the greater matters are the good that you do for others. You know, I'm blessed to have great friends who call MRCC home and who are devoted to their church, but they maybe don't agree with every single point of doctrine that we teach as a church. Yet, because they know what matters most, they are absolutely devoted and committed to serving that church. How beautiful is that in the eyes of God? How wonderful is that in the eyes of the Father? The Pharisees didn't get that. But Jesus sought to teach them that, and he seeks to teach us that. And here's the danger, friends. If we don't let Jesus teach us about these kinds of things, we run the risk of being people who spend our whole life hanging around the things of God without ever connecting with God. Probably the scariest warning that Jesus gave in all of his Gospels is found in Matthew chapter 7. Listen to what he says, verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? We preached your word. Lord, did we not in your name drive out demons, perform miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Wow. In other words, they were, they were just doing it on the outside, not on the inside. They were just going through the motions without ever connecting with what God was really seeking. We must be very careful about seeing ourselves only in our own eyes. See, the people in this warning looked in the mirror and said, well, I'm a man of God. I'm a woman of God. But God disagreed. And we need to let him challenge us about these things. Or, or we'll risk falling into this scary trap. You know, I, I remember when I was a parent of a teenager and uh, we were going through some rough water with our son, Isaiah. And I was trying to do everything right. And I was patient and kind and compassionate, self-controlled and bringing discipline into his life at the same time, back and forth. And, and, and I thought, when I looked in the mirror at the end of the day, I thought, Greg, you're doing everything right here. And then one day, I had a radical moment with Isaiah that changed everything. And that echoes to this day. One day I was disciplining him. We were talking. We were going back and forth. It was heated. And suddenly with tears streaming down his face, I'll never forget Isaiah saying to me, Dad, it's not fair. I can't be like you. You are Captain America. Obviously he wasn't looking at my belly when he said that, all right? But he said that. And suddenly I understood that what I saw in the mirror wasn't what he saw. And I suddenly realized, oh my goodness, he, he's looking for my vulnerability, for my accessibility, not just my having all my ducks in a row. And that changed our relationship radically. And it's something like that that Jesus is talking about here. He says, God is looking for the inside, live for the inside. Big deal. The sad truth, and, 
here's where we kind of get into the home stretch today. The sad truth is that people can be extremely religious and yet very far from Jesus. And the Lord knows that, and so he challenges us about it. Look at verse 46. One of the experts in the law, another serious religious guy, answered him and said, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us. Do you let God insult you? Do you let Jesus insult you? You know, sometimes an insult is a blessing. Can I tell you another great story about my son? I got into a phase some years ago where I was saying to myself, you know what, I don't want all these chemicals on my body. I'm going to stop using deodorant. So I stopped putting deodorant on all the time. I said, you know what, it causes a rash sometimes. I'll just use cologne. It'll be all good. And so I'm doing this for a while. And then one day we're at home and we got to chit-chatting. And Isaiah says, you're always hugging people at church. And I said, yeah. And he says, Dad, when you hug people, you should really use deodorant. I said, well, why? He says, Dad, you've hugged me before. <laughs> oh, whoa, okay. And so, by the way, if you want to hug me this morning, I have used deodorant. We're back in the habit, all right? We're doing the whole thing, got over that. Sometimes an insult's a good thing. Sometimes we need it, and it blesses us. Jesus brings that into our lives. If we'll let him, will you let him challenge you about what you see? About what you don't see? about what's going on on the inside and what's going on on the outside. Proverbs tells us that wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So Jesus challenges these guys, and he says, verse 45, you experts in the law, woe to you. You load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. You yourselves won't lift a finger to help them. In other words, you're not about what you can do for somebody else. Instead, you're all about telling other people what they shouldn't do. Jesus said the bigger part of it is what you do for someone. It's the same theme all the way through. Remember what the Lord taught us. We're almost done. He said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We can get a lot of stuff right. We get that wrong. Game over. Game over. And the simple truth is this, our faith isn't just a bunch of boundaries, it's a song, it's a pursuit, it's a dance, it's a child giving gifts to her mom because she knows her mom loves her. It's you and me saying, yes, God, people matter most to you, and so my life is going to be about helping other people. Give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. And, and, and church, that's what God does for us. What does the Bible say? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. And he invites us to do the same. Let me, let me finish this morning with a story. June Spivey is a kindergarten teacher in Dallas, Texas. She writes about her kindergarten class at the beginning of the school year. And, you know, the kindergartners are learning for the first time to bring lunch money, right? They've never had to do that before. And so they're bringing lunch money. And one of the things Miss Spivey figured out early on is that these kindergartners had a tendency to misplace or lose their lunch money very often before lunch. So she made an arrangement with the school secretary. And the school secretary would come in first thing every morning into the kindergarten class and say, who has lunch money for me today? And she would collect everybody's lunch money, write their names down. So, you know, come lunchtime, everything was good. Well, after about a week, one morning a little boy named Brian came early to class and he came up to Mrs. Spivey's desk and he pulled out of his pocket a wad of one dollar bills and coins and he placed them on her desk and he said, Miss Spivey, 
Here's some lunch money from my piggy bank for that lady who never has any. June writes, that day Brian became my favorite kid in the class. And we feel that. We understand that. We go, oh yeah, Brian. Brian gets it. Brian's special. Brian's onto something here. In the same way, God looks at you and I. He says, hey, what are you doing to help somebody else? What are you doing to bless somebody else? That's what I'm looking for. Sure, we're going to do a lot of learning and other stuff, but this is what I'm looking for. This is the big deal. Maybe your church is just a place where you come to attend and get something. Do you serve your church? Can I challenge you to discover that your life will be changed by serving? Finding a place, a way to serve. Let's change. The inside of the dish fills up with light. God wants you to experience that. Do you give to your church? As you learn to do that, you'll find the same thing. It goes on and on. The idea is that we play offense, not just defense. And that, that is why we understand our eyes are meant to bring light into a world. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Father, we thank you for your word this morning such a father-hearted word this morning. And as we, your sons and daughters, go out into the world, let it be with an understanding of what our eyes are for, God, and of what you're looking for. Lord, help us to be your Bryans. <laughs> help us to be your Bryans in the world. We pray for that. Help us to learn today from you. We pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, friends? Great to see you. Great to be with you this morning. Enjoy the sunshine today. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.